Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in Salt Lake City on the morning of the 2023 NBA All-Star Game with the coach of the LeBron team and also in his spare time, the coach of the West leading Denver Nuggets, Michael Malone. Mike, how are you? Uh, doing great, Adrian. Always great to see you and uh, it's good to be here. So Michael, you are now the fourth longest tenured coach in the NBA. Do you know the other three off the top of your head? I do. Yeah. Uh, Pop is the godfather. He's number one. It's an easy one. Yep. Spo. Spo's been doing it at a high level in Miami for a long time. And then Steve Kerr, the guy who's the mastermind behind all the, the, the Warriors' success. So um, crazy business, as you know, son of a coach. And being in one place for eight years um, is unheard of and something I don't take lightly. It, that's interesting to me. In eight years in Denver, Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Semifinals, and this year, Eastern Conference semi, Western Conference Semifinals twice, the Western Conference Final trip, and and this year a chance to to maybe the, as good of a team as you've had and a good of an opportunity you had to with health and and Kola Jokic at the peak of his greatness to, to maybe really make an even deeper run in the playoffs. But you, you say that about eight years in one place and. You know, as an NBA, as a college a college coach and then into the NBA, as an assistant, you're moving and you were moving every couple of years. And you've got two daughters who you've got one almost to the finish line <laughs> right in Denver. You got her through school in Denver and another who by all you'll, you'll probably get to the finish line, too, in the city. Uh, that means a lot, doesn't it? It um, you know, growing up the son of a coach, understanding the lifestyle I moved a lot as a young kid because my father was a high school coach in New York City, a college coach, got into the NBA, and um, I was used to that lifestyle. And you're right. The one thing my father told me when he tried to talk me out of becoming a coach was it's a nomadic lifestyle. You have to be willing to travel wherever the job is, and it's really hard in a family. And uh, I, I was really lucky when I was coaching at Providence College, met my wife. And uh, she has been a trooper through all this, all the moves. Um, my girls, after my second year in Denver, they said, well, all right, where are we going now? <laughs> they just assumed after every two years we were moving. Right. You haven't made the playoffs yet, yeah. Dad. We're in trouble, right? <laughs> and I said, no, I think they like me. We're going to stay for a little <laughs> bit. And you're right. My oldest daughter, Caitlin, is a senior in high school. And my youngest is a sophomore in high school. And uh, Colorado is home. You know, we love it there. And um, working with great players, Great uh, people in the front office and ownership has made working in Denver. You know, uh, I got fired in Sacramento, and in hindsight, that wound up being like the best thing that ever happened to me, because I took a, a a negative. What happened there? No one wants to get fired, but given another chance to coach, prove myself, and um, you look at eight years later, as you mentioned, first place in the West, and you know, hopefully, we can stay healthy and, and do some uh, great things in the postseason this year. Michael, you talk about the, the stability you've had in Denver from, you know, Josh Kroenke, Tim Connolly, who hired you, who was with you all the way until he left for Minnesota in the last offseason. And then Calvin Booth takes over, who had been in Denver, who you had a relationship with and had worked together. And then your core and ultimately Nicola having a superstar player who probably is as low maintenance 
as any in the league. And so much, I think, of the frailty of these of head coaching jobs in the NBA are the head coach star relationship or head coach stars relationships. And I don't know if there's a less complicated one than what you have. Would you agree with that? Uh, a thousand percent. Um, I never coached Tim Duncan, but I often compare Nicola to Tim Duncan, a selfless superstar, a truly great player that is almost embarrassed by the attention. Um, with all the fame, all the success, all the money, Nicola's never changed. Uh, and obviously, I spent a lot of time off the court getting to know Nicola, getting to know his family, taking trips, going over to uh, you know, Serbia, uh, him allowing me to uh, ride his horses, which is <laughs> a funny story uh, by itself. But um, my father told me a long time ago, Adrian, it's as a coach, you have to know X's and O's. You got to be able to draw up a play end of a game. You have to make adjustments to your defensive game plan, whatever it may be. But like Tony LaRusso would always say, if you don't have the relationships, none of that matters. And whether it's Nicola or Jamal or Michael Porter or anybody else on our roster, 1 through 17, I think those relationships matter. And when I got the job in Sacramento, Coach Popovich, uh, who was really instrumental in me becoming a head coach, he said, listen, be true to yourself, but make sure your players know that you love them and you care about them. Because if they don't know that, they're going to tune you out. And it's something I've, I've kind of held dear to my heart and try to use every day as a coach and challenging myself to improve, to mature, to grow up um, and become the best coach that I can be. And that's a never ending journey for all of us coaches. But uh, the relationship I have with Nicola is uh, a strong one and one that I really cherish. Does Nicola allow you? I'm not saying you don't have to that you never compromise in the job. There's always compromise as a head coach to the realities of the NBA. Are you maybe allowed to have to compromise what you think your values, the core values that you have to have with a team and principles that I think a lot of coaches are just contorting, just like they're bent, you know, they're twisted in, uh, uh, twisted in circles, having to do based on a lot of factors that you've you've had to do that less because he's allowed you to coach the team and coach him. Yeah, I mean, it's a really important point. Um, I think when I came into Denver, the culture that we tried to create, fortunately for me, our best player um, bought into that early. I mean, like being selfless is something really important to our culture and getting over yourself. And we have a two-time MVP who is – um, embarrassed by the attention and, and buys into everything. And when you have a superstar buy in and not every day is not a battle. Every day is not me going to the dentist and having a root canal. It is a joy. And uh, Nicola is the most selfless guy I've ever been around. Uh, he's the most team-oriented guy that I've ever been around. And uh, what a luxury as a head coach when you have a player of that magnitude that understands that and lives it every day. And he allows me to coach him. I think that's something that's really important too. Uh, Nicola is not a guy that wants to be pampered. He wants to be coached. He wants to be held accountable and he doesn't take it personally. And there's not many guys in this business that have had the success that he's had that I think would, would, would allow the same thing. So it's a perfect marriage between myself and Nicola. 
when you have an idea or you want to make a change, you're going to change a coverage, a defensive coverage, or add in, you know, tweak some sets, or I want to add something in. Do you bring it up with them and say, hey, I had this idea. How do you see that? Or does, does he even care if you bring it to him? I, I don't know if he, he cares or desires that, um, but I do. Uh, I'd be stupid not to. Obviously, he's the uh, the centerpiece of everything we do. And the great thing about our team this year is we're, we're healthy. You know, we have Jamal Murray back, who has been playing great. We have Michael Porter back healthy. We have Aaron Gordon. We have KCP. We have some tremendous players off of our bench. Um, but with Nicola, I want him to have input. I want to give him and the other players ownership in what we're doing. This is not a dictatorship. You know, this is not me coming in every day saying this is what we're doing. I think if I'm going to preach, we have to trust each other. I have to trust our players as well. So I will ask Nicole, hey, what do you think about this idea? Whether it's offensively, defensively. Um, and he's always willing to give his opinion. Uh, he's very bright. He sees the game, I think, on a different level than a lot of people. And so when I get his input, it's not just lip service. It's me really wanting to know you're on the court. I'm not. What do you see out there? I listened to Tom Brady does his podcast. And he had Bill Belichick on a couple of weeks ago, right after he retired. And Brady, uh, Belichick talked about with Tom Brady that he learned to see football through Brady's eyes and made him see things that he never could have seen um, just as a coach and somebody who hadn't played or certainly played the position of quarterback. And that things that Belichick thought were important in preparation or how to attack a coverage, Brady would explain to him, that's not important. I can't see that out there, but I see this and this. And that it changed how Belichick prepared and coached. When you have a player and, and your whole, there became a point very early where your offense started to go through Jokic. You realized what you had. Did your view of the game change based on how he saw things and, and, what he needed from you on the court. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, and, and obviously coming from arguably the greatest coach and greatest quarterback in NFL history, um, it's something that you have to take into account. I know this, I, I think as coaches, you know, uh, we probably over-prepare. We probably, you know, to satisfy our own needs, um, to make sure that we're doing everything we can to prepare your team. Um, but for Nicola, you know, it's like the movie, uh, A Beautiful Mind. He sees things in such a simple manner that are, is not simple for everybody else. So there'll be times we're having a conversation, whether it's in a practice, on the plane coming here, talking about different things as we approach our final 23 games um, or in a huddle. And he'll grab the board. What I love is my challenge for Nicole in eight years has been get more comfortable with your voice and being a leader. You're a great player, but the players need to hear you more. And when he takes the board in the huddle and says, no, 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 coach, boom, boom, boom. And it's like, like Eureka, you know? And the players are all saying, like the, the waiting on every word he says, like E.F. Hutton commercial from years ago. So he sees a game and it does force you as a coach and a teammate to, you know, make sure you're doing your job to, see it and try to understand where he's coming from so he can help the other four players on the court. Michael, was there a point early, maybe very early on, you know, you drafted him as a second round pick and as a head coach, you're not really having expectations for a second round pick. He's a second round pick. 
And then he comes in and you're in the gym with him every day and you're watching more and more. And there's probably part of you going, do I believe what I'm seeing here? <laughs> right? There's like a, was there a point you remember just driving home from the gym or practice early on and saying, I have to recalibrate everything I thought about coaching the Denver Nuggets. Well, if, uh, I go right back to, our, he came in the same time I came in. I got, he was drafted a year prior. I spent one year in Europe. He came over and our first summer league together, there was not one part of that summer league where I said, this guy's going to be an MVP. This guy's going to be a franchise player. Not one. He was overweight. He was out of shape. And he was, he was a nice player. Nice. And then his rookie year, we were doing like skill work in practice one day and a seven foot kid has got a better handle than some of our guards. I said, where'd you learn to dribble like that? He goes, coach, I used to be a fat point guard. And they showed me the picture when he was a young kid. And I said, that's really interesting. But the game that jumps out to me, we had a game in San Antonio and we had injuries. So he got a chance to play extended minutes and he had 20 plus points, around 13 rebounds, eight assists. And that's when in my mind, the light bulb went off. And I said, I got to play this kid more. There is something here. He's doing this against the likes of a Tim Duncan and a really good team in San Antonio. I have to explore this. And I think a, a, a really important point in Nuggets history in the eight years that he and I have been together is in the second year, we were trying to play Nikola and Yusuf Nurkic together, and it just wasn't going well. And Nikola was all rookie as a center, not as a four. And we had just gotten blown out in Dallas, and we came home, and I, had, I was almost having a conversation with myself. I said, what am I doing? This, this kid, Nikola, has a chance to be a really good basketball player. I didn't know MVP, but really good basketball player. And he's, he's going to be the, the, the central hub of everything we do moving forward. And since that point in time, it was like December 13th or 14th, I think the, the overall the fortunes and the future and the uh, success of the Nuggets changed with that decision. We made him the, the focal point, and everything else that we've added has been around fitting pieces around Nikola and has allowed us to be the, in the position that we are in right now. So, um, But that game in San Antonio was the one game where I said, if you're doing it against this kind of talent, this team, we, we have to explore this a lot further, and that allowed us to make the decision that we made. Does he even – season ends and he goes back to Serbia. He's on the farm. Who knows if you can get him on the cell phone? Who knows if there's Wi-Fi service? Who, who knows, right? He's there. And you're going to trade for KCP. Do, do you guys call him and say, hey, how do you think KCP would feel? Or does he just say, hey – Whoever's there when I get back in training camp, that's great. How does that work? Because I know how it works with every other star player in the league. Right. They're calling his agent. They're calling the player. Here's who we might be able to get. What do you think of this guy? Like, and they have to get his approval, essentially. Yeah, you know, I think when Tim was here, obviously, um, you know, Tim's relationship skills and his ability to communicate with all of our guys. And I think Calvin's done a wonderful job uh, taking over for Tim and the moves that Calvin has made. Um, with the draft and free agency and the trade deadline. Um, I don't think it's uh, it's not approval. It's not, hey, can we do this? But I think out of respect to Nicola and his status in this league and for our franchise, it is a respect thing. Hey, this is what we're thinking about. You know, what are your thoughts? And he's not a guy like he, he doesn't want to be a decision maker. 
You know, he, he hey, that's not my job. He goes, I gave you my thoughts, but you know, ultimately you guys do what you think is best. And he try, I mean, and he should. The last five years in the Western Conference, we've won more games than anybody. We haven't won the championship yet, and hopefully that's this year. But I think Nicola truly trusts, whether it's myself and Tim or Ned Calvin, to do what is best for this organization and bring the right pieces in. And um, he was a he understood what KCP brought to the table. We lost to them in the bubble in the Western Conference Finals. He's a guy that's won a championship. He defends at a high level, and he shoots the three ball really, really well. That's a great piece to put around a guy like Nicola and Jamal, Michael Porter, and Aaron Gordon. So um, Nicola's a team guy. Like, it's never about me, me, me. This is what I want. It's whatever we all can do together. And he's sincere in that. How excited was he to have you come over? and show you how to get on a horse. <laughs> I, I know you rode horses a lot growing up in Jersey. I know they were all up and down your street. I know that wasn't new to you, but. Well, the funny story is we were hanging out at his house one day. I said, coach, let's go. We're going to go to the track. It's practice for his horse. And um, obviously this is not a horse that you sit on. It's, you know, like they have at the Meadowlands. Uh, metal, it's a harness. harness yes. And so he says, all right, coach, your turn. I said, what? I said, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. He Did goes, you wear one of those little helmets? Yeah, I got yeah. a helmet on. I'm sitting up in the back of that little buggy, whatever you call it. And um, he says, all right. I go, well, what do I do? He goes, it's really easy. You know, you, you pull back to slow down and you let the reins go if you wanted to go faster. He says, coach, take it nice and easy. I said, okay. Well, all of a sudden I get in this horse and I think I'm Ben-Hur. And I'm flying around, <laughs> I'm flying around the track. And I come around the first time and both he and his trainer are like, Coach, slow down. This is practice. You're going too fast. So, okay. Whatever. Let's go. I come around the second time, and literally him and his trainer are, like, pissed at me. Like, Coach, get out. He goes, you just ruined practice. You went too fast. And the best part about it was when I got back to the house, his two brothers, Nemanja and Strahi, and I go, Coach, where were you guys? I said, oh, Nicole, let me, you know, ride the horse. And they were so angry because he's never given them the chance to ride the horse because <laughs> they're way too big anyway. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one and done with Nicola's horses. <laughs> you can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers – thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Michael, going through what you went through in Sacramento and getting fired very early in your second season when DeMarcus Cousins was out, how did that experience prepare you for taking over in Denver and 
that situation, if you had just gone from having been an assistant at most recently at that point in Golden State, if you hadn't gone through the experience in Sacramento, do you think you'd be a different person, different coach in Denver, that it was good for you? Yeah, I, I really do. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the Kings gave me an opportunity to be a head coach, something that you don't take lightly. There's only 30 of those jobs. Uh, and I know full well, being the son of a coach and a coach, you know, who's been fired. You know, my father got fired in Toronto and whatever. So you understand the pitfalls of the profession. Um, but every experience, even when you're going through it, it may not be ideal and may not be fun, but every experience is a learning experience. So you can turn every experience into a positive. And when I look back at my year and a half in Sacramento, there's things that I know I could have done better. Um, I had no control over DeMarcus getting viral meningitis. You know, that was going to be the title of my book one day. Viral, viral meningitis got me fired. <laughs> but um, I, I look back on my interactions with my players, my staff, the front office, ownership, and uh, and and. and Challenging myself, you know, it's easy to, to place blame in this business, but challenging myself to say, okay, well, what, what could I have done better with my relationship there? And um, the best part of that opportunity for me was being able to showcase my ability to coach in the NBA, to instill a culture with an NBA franchise and, 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 and find a way to create an identity with an NBA team. And when I got fired and Tim called me up and brought me to Denver to meet with Josh, um, it wound up being just a, a, a perfect marriage. But I am really thankful for my brief time in Sacramento because it allowed me to get my feet wet and to make mistakes that made me a better coach once I got the job in Denver. And uh, that that's an invaluable experience. And I know that a lot of coaches, young coaches, first-time head coaches, never get that second chance. And that's something I don't take for granted. I mean, this is a crazy business. Um, so to be a head coach in the NBA is uh, as a dream of mine, and it's a passion of mine, and uh, something I'm very thankful for. What What do you think has changed most about being a head coach in the NBA versus even when you got in the league and you're working for, uh, you know, Monty Williams, Mike Brown? In what ways do you think the job has most dramatically altered? Well, the, the first thought I have is, you know, obviously I was fortunate enough. Uh, I was an assistant coach at Manhattan College working for Bobby Gonzalez. And Jeff Van Gundy hired me with the New York Knicks. And when I look back on that first team and I look back, you know, now fast forward like 20 plus years later, um, the, the league, the players have gotten so young. The rosters have expanded. 17 players on a roster now. 15 roster with two two-way players. Um we didn't have young projects. You know, we're going to draft a young kid and we're going to – and now you look at the just the, the makeup of an NBA roster for me has changed so much in terms of you got young kids coming in that a lot of these kids don't know how to play. I mean, they, I mean AAU circuit, whatever it may be, they play a lot of basketball. They go to college for a year uh, or two and then they come to the NBA. So the talent is there, but you, you, you have to spend so much time with your player development to make sure these guys understand – how to play. Um, so I, I, that's one thing that jumps out to me is just the, the, the age of the rosters, the experience of the rosters is, is changed. Uh, and with that, your, your, your job as a head coach, you have to talk to these young kids. I mean, like it's, I mentioned relationships before, but I think that's such a big part of it. Like having a relationship, being able to communicate 
what your role is, role acceptance, role description, getting guys to buy into that, um, delegating to your staff. The staffs have gotten so much bigger. Um, somebody used the analogy a few years ago. A head coach in the NBA, you're more like a CEO. You, know, you, you, you have to have a relationship with your players. You have to have a great relationship with your front office, your ownership, um, with the media in your market, whatever it is. So it's, you know, it's not the old school job where you go in, you watch video, you put together practice. There's a lot more layers to it today than I think there were 20 plus years ago when I first got in the league. And Michael, and I think the one thing that that I think is fairly unique to the experience you've had in Denver, when you look at ownership, front office, compared to how it is in a lot of places in terms of dictating who's going to play, who's not going to play, what groupings are going to play. Um, agent call today, we have to acquiesce. It's pissed off about somebody's role. You got to play him more or you got to. My sense is you've been mostly immune from that in Denver. You've been allowed to coach this team. And I know when you talk to your peers around the league, you probably hear different stories. Yeah, it's um, – I go back a few years ago when uh, the Washington Wizards were, you know, making a run at Tim Connolly, and Tim Connolly stayed. And I think one of the reasons he stayed, he goes – and he said it perfectly. I know that there's 29 other teams in this league, and I know there's not another GM that has a relationship with ownership and their head coach like I do. And I feel the same way. Um, you know, I, I have ownership in the Kroenke family and Stan Kroenke and Josh Kroenke – who have not once in eight years come into my office and said, hey, you should play four on five. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've had a relationship with Tim Conley for seven years, and now Calvin Booth for one, who have not one time said, hey, you got to play this young guy more. And that, like, I don't take that for granted. To your point, there's a lot of coaches in situations where um, they're not even allowed to be able to be themselves as a coach, and they're being told what to do. And, you know, I just feel really fortunate in my, my situation that I have an ownership group that has supported me from day one. Most owners would have fired me after my third year. We lost to Minnesota. That last game. To me, that was the greatest advertisement for the play-in, the play-in tournament. <laughs> yeah. Because the, it was very rarely, it was like, it was win or go home. It was right? game 82 at yep. Minnesota. We lost in overtime. Um, we had a bunch of young players. They had kind of gone all in to get veteran players. And, you know, in this business, it is a result business and people want, they want it yesterday. And I just remember seeing Josh after the game and he gave me a hug and he's like, man, he goes, how, how great were our young guys tonight? He goes, our, our future is so exciting. This is going to be, and it just shows you that it wasn't, he wasn't being reactionary. He wasn't being short-sighted. He said, you know what? We have Nicole, we have Jamal, uh, we're, we're on the right path. Let's give this a chance to to grow and build into what it is right now. And that doesn't happen often. So, you know, the, the support that they've allowed me and the freedom that I've been allowed to coach with um, and, and trust my instincts and play guys when I felt they were ready to play is, uh, is, is a tremendous situation. And that's why I love being here and I hope to be here for a long time.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You see Kareem and LeBron in those weeks leading up to LeBron James breaking Kareem's scoring record. Does it, you think, did you think about the connection with Kareem and your dad at Power Memorial? Yeah. It's funny how it comes. You were there at the beginning with LeBron in Cleveland. Right. And then here you are coaching here with his team, an all star. And your dad and Kareem Abdul and Lou Alcindor at right. Power Memorial High School. Yeah, it's uh, the, the, the basketball is such a funny journey, and, and there's so many connections and parallels. And um, you know, you look at what Kareem did, and obviously LeBron just breaking his record, and the connection from Powell Memorial Academy uh, with my father, Lou Alcindor, back then. Obviously, Lou Alcindor played for Jack Donahue, a great coach, um, and then LeBron, who my father coached in Cleveland with Paul Silas. Then when my father got fired in Cleveland. I came to Cleveland on Mike Brown's staff and uh, to be able to coach LeBron for five years was a, you know, what, what, what an unbelievable opportunity. The funny thing for me, Adrian, is when I think about LeBron, he's the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. And if you ask me to, to describe LeBron James, I would never say he's a scorer. And that may sound weird to people because how can you say that? He's no one scored more points. If you said, what's the first thing you think of when you talk about LeBron James, I would say he's the best passer I've ever seen. And that's why I think him and Nicola have so many common threads within their games. But LeBron has played at a uh, high level for all these years. The longevity is what sticks out to me. But he's a guy that has scored more points than anybody. But his ability to play make, make everyone around him better, to me, are what really define him as arguably the greatest player to ever play this game. Michael, the... The relationships now, you saw the relationships your dad had in coaching with his peers. He was part of kind of a very pretty tight-knit group of, of the sort of the Van Gundy coaching tree, really started kind of the Riley coaching tree, and then it was the Van Gundy coaching tree. And, and your dad obviously predated those guys coaching in the NBA. But what are the relationships like now in the business compared to like how you used to see your dad interact with his peers. Is it a little more guys, a little more isolated now than they were then? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point. Um, when I think about my father and his coaching cronies back in the day, you know, for those that don't know, five-star basketball camp was a huge part of coaching. And when I think of five-star basketball camp, I think of Yubi Brown, you know I mean? Yubi Brown, uh, he did our game in Philadelphia a little while ago. Uh, the guy is still kicking ass, and there's no more amazing it's thing amazing. in all of basketball <laughs> than, Hubie. than Hubie Brown calling NBA games at 90 years old. Michael, my, my dad was 90 and passed away two years ago, and I'm trying to imagine my dad <laughs> at that age sitting courtside at a game <laughs> and had like. We were just could I keep the volume up loud enough on the TV when we were over there, you know? I, but but. but the speed of the game, the 
um, the recall of every of where this guy is developed to this guy and never getting anything. We all get things wrong. And just it's the most remarkable thing in television it, ever. It, it really is. I mean, seeing him last a few weeks ago, whenever that game was, was such a treat. He gave me a big hug <laughs> because, you know, so going back to my what I was saying was like five star basketball camp was where all those coaches would hang out. You know, they'd go to Honesdale, PA. They'd go to Pittsburgh, PA, Robert Morris College. And they would do clinics and they would talk and they'd go out to Denny's and have food and drinks, whatever it was. So the Hubie Browns, my father, Brendan Malone, Mike Fratello's, uh, Richie Adubato's, like all these guys. So my father's the head coach at University of Rhode Island and Hubie calls him up to be his, his assistant. And tough decision, but he went and he took the job that Richie Adubato had just left. Um, so th those guys were really closely tied together, same fraternity of coaching, same area of the country, the Northeast, New York City, New Jersey circle. Uh, nowadays, like, I have relationship with coaches in the NBA, guys that I've worked with, guys that I have gotten to know through through many years in this league, but it's it's not, I don't think it's nearly the same as it was back in the day. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it is what it is because, um, you know, guys are coming up in different backgrounds and they come from different places. But you can see, like, the San Antonio, they definitely have a a, a line throughout the mm -hmm. entire NBA, uh, understandably so. Uh, Golden State is starting to have the same type of thing. The teams that have had great success. I know for me, Wes Unsell was on my staff, head coach in Washington, and I really hope that at some point David Adelman son of Rick Adelman, Hall of Famer, will be a head coach in this uh, this business. Ryan Saunders was was a head coach in Minnesota. Obviously, his dad, Flip, God rest his soul, uh, Popeye Jones. So you, when you have success, your assistants hopefully get an opportunity to run their own team. But uh, I do think your question is a great one, but I don't think it's the same as it was back in like the 1980s, 1990s with NBA coaches. It's different. If people follow the Nuggets uh, social media accounts, they get you after I think pretty much every win. I think after every win, talking to the team, you hand out the the you hand out the chain, right? The the defensive player, DPOG, yep, right? defensive player of the game, right? And so they, I think you've allowed them to sort of. It's usually like a I don't know fifty second minute hit. Um, the one at the end of All Star. But before your last game going to All-Star break, you essentially said to the guys, hey, enjoy the time off. Got the best record in the West. You've earned it. But when we come back, we are coming back to – essentially, I'm paraphrasing you. We are coming back to try to win a championship here. And it's a sprint to that. <laughs> people don't realize – I think a lot of people think that the All-Star break is a halfway point. And <laughs> we have 23 games coming out of the break. We just traded for Thomas Bryant. We just signed Reggie Jackson. Um, Jamal Murray missed the last six games going into the break. So if we think we're just going to kind of come out of the break in kind of chill mode and pick it up as we go, well, that's not going to work. I always, Something that we I learned from Hubie Brown that my father always talked about, coming into the All-Star break, coming out of the All-Star break is a really important time and a great opportunity to steal games. Going into the break, a lot of teams are tired. We were 7-2 and two going into All-Star break. Just as important, we have to come out with the same mindset, the same focus, and the same discipline and urgency because 23 games is going to go like that. 
And the seedings in the Western Conference, uh, they're going to change every day. And I think this is going to be one of the crazier, wilder postseasons in a long time. And uh, and that's going to be great if you're a fan because the the upsets, the matchups, I mean, there's a really good chance that we could play Golden State in the first round again, the team that won the championship last year. And uh, you know, that's why we just got to worry about ourselves, continue to find a way to hit the ground running and find our uh, find our chemistry. And uh, hopefully that can bode well for us as we finish out the regular season. Was was there anyone less enthusiastic than you about the dissolving of the Brooklyn Nets? <laughs> yeah, it's funny how when you you can wake up one day and the entire landscape has changed dramatically, you know, in Phoenix and Dallas. Um but in a weird way, it's also like exciting because you know if you're going to win a championship, if we're going to win the first Larry O'Brien trophy for Denver, you're going to have to beat some really good teams. And so at some point, whether it's Dallas, whether it's Phoenix, whether it's uh, Memphis, all the other great teams in the Western Conference, um, competition is healthy. I think it brings out the best in people. And if you're afraid of that, well, you're not built to win a championship anyways. But if you see, okay, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton, that's a pretty good team. If you see Kyrie and Luka together, pretty good team. Well, that excites me. I think it's a challenge for us. Um, and I, I know I speak for our guys as well. They're excited about it as well because we're not satisfied with being in first place right now. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Great job. We're here representing the, uh, the Western Conference All-Star coaches, but uh, our goals are much higher than that, and uh, we welcome that challenge. Michael, thank you for taking the time out, as always, and good luck down the home stretch. Adrian, great to see you, and uh, always great being on with you. Appreciate your time. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Denver Nuggets coach Michael Malone. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also listen to the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and of course the Adam Schefter podcast with my good friend Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.